As has already been stated, happy Mother's Day to all our moms, all our spiritual moms. We celebrate your mothering. We are so thankful for who you are. And just want to encourage you moms, keep your eyes on Jesus. Our, chest, our church is blessed with so many moms and mothers who fear God and who, uh, who love others well. So, so grateful for you all and uh, so blessed on this, on this Mother's Day. Uh, Today we are going to continue on diving in God's Word in the book of Judges chapter 2. Before we jump into that, uh, yesterday we had a celebration at Bell Park. We did a Bell Park baseball parade for the kids in our community. That was pretty cool. We had, uh, I mean, just uh, well over 100 folks come on now with kids and parents. We had a police escort, the, the Steinmetz color guard. It was a great time. But a thing that wasn't great was that it had been raining all week, so our fields were muddy. How about that for opening day? Trying to start out a season with muddy fields. So what we did as coaches, we showed up at 7 in the morning to begin to prepare the fields, and they were swampy. They were quite swampy. In fact, I'm looking out for crocodiles in the outfield. It felt like it was that kind of environment. And so what happened was we looked at the two diamonds, and we realized one of them was not, not done, not able to do. We're like, you know what, that one's... That one's not redeemable, all right? We got to come over to this one here. And so we began to work that diamond. And the way you got to work these diamonds is you got to get rakes out, overturn the dirt so that the sun can hit it and dry it off. And then you do, you rake it again so it overturns again and it starts drying off, okay? Uh, we did that in one diamond and we did that in another diamond. But the one diamond could not get that done properly. It, it just wouldn't dry up because there was a big difference between the two. Um, in fact, two differences. One is we had this thing called quick dry. It's a powdered-like substance you, uh, you, you, you spread over the dirt and over the mud, and what it does is absorb the moisture and dries it off. We threw out about eight or ten bags of quick dry uh, onto this field, and we let it there soak. That was the first difference. The other difference is that same diamond got a little more sun than the other diamond. That diamond had the sun directly on it, allowing it to be prepared. And Josh and I were there, we're preaching to ourselves as we're raking this diamond, all right? We're like, there's got to be a sermon here somewhere. And, and, and he told me I better use it today, all right? And so how many of you all know that there are times in our lives we or others may view other people as unredeemable? Maybe you were that person that people looked at you and said, you are beyond repair. And apart from any intervention, the truth of the matter is they're correct. But what happens in our lives is that there is a God who will sprinkle about us the power of his Holy Spirit. And this is the main difference, whether or not you get the sun or not directly upon you. And it's not the S-U-N, of course. We're talking about the S-O-N, the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, who can take what seems to be unredeemable and give us hope in life, all right? Are you with me here this morning, family? You see, when we look at our lives, we realize that apart from God's intervention, we are all a hot mess. We are beyond repair by our own strength. We need something other than us to work in us, and that's what God does. Some of you are here today because you had an encounter with the living God family. Some of you are here today because you understand that Jesus died for your sins rose from the dead for your victory, and sits at the right hand of the Father for your promised eternal life. And church family, I want to let you know today, our God does that. Can you say, my God does that? 
Can you say that again? My God does that? My God does that. And that's what we see in the book of Judges as well. A people who appear to be quite unredeemable, but God sending his power into their circumstance to bring about deliverance they couldn't do on their own because my God does that, church family. Today on this day, this Mother's Day, we are going to see that God's kindness is unparalleled just like his power. That God's grace is immeasurable just like his might. And we're going to see that our God intervenes into our lives because our God does that. I don't know what brings you here today. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you're excited to worship. You know that apart from him, you were lost. Maybe you're here today because it's Mother's Day and you're here to celebrate with someone. And God brought you here today. Maybe you're here logged on online and you're just saying, you know what, let me give this a try this morning. God brought you here today. No matter what it is, the circumstances surrounding why you're here, God brought you here because our God does that. And our God cares about you and there is no one like our God. To do that this morning, I'm going to ask you to join me in the book of Judges chapter 2. And I'm going to invite you to stand with me as I read verses 16 and following. We are going to take about a chapter and a half today. Diving in here, chewing this up. And I told you guys last week, the book of Judges feels like a bit like the wild, wild west. Today you're going to be introduced to some of that. And I'm pretty excited about it. This is what God's word tells us in Judges chapter 2, verse 16. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside, can you say turned aside? From the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who had afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, against Israel, and he said, because this people have transgressed my covenant that I commanded their fathers and have not obeyed my voice, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations that Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will take care to walk in the way of the Lord as their fathers did or not. So the Lord left those nations, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua. Now jump down to chapter 3, verse 5. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, and Hivites, and the Jebusites. And their daughters they took to themselves for wives, and their own daughters they gave to their sons, and they served their gods. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord, their God, and served the Baals and 
the Asherah. Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the people of Israel served Cushan Rishathaim eight years. But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, can you say cried out to the Lord? The Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel who saved them. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord was upon him and he judged Israel. He went out to war and the Lord gave Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand. And his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim. So the land had rest 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Father, we come before you today, and Lord, we acknowledge first off how um, distant we are from even the text I just read, but Lord, we know we are not distant from you. God, you are here in our midst because two or more are gathered. God, your Holy Spirit indwells everyone who's put their faith in Jesus. And so Lord, we pray that you would uh, meet us here. God, meet us here for comfort, we ask. Meet us here for conviction, for encouragement to spur us on. Lord, point us to you. We need you, Lord. And so, Father, we ask that your spirit would work in our midst. God, we love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may take a seat, church family. I'm not saying, saying Kushan Rishathaim anymore. He's this Kushan from this point forward, all right? I, I, I was praying as I was reading that, trying to get those words out. All right, family, so, you know, as we get into God's Word, there are times we're reading it and we're like, this is very different than the experiences I have in my life. But you're going to see here pretty quickly that while we may be very culturally removed from what we're reading, we're not entirely removed from it. Now, this book of the Judges is a story of God's people going wayward, losing their way, and ultimately ending up a big mess, to be honest. They are there and they're getting lost following after the gods of the land, the people that lived in the land that God had told them to go to, they did not obey God, therefore they started uh, intermarrying with the people of the land, which the problem with that was not the intermarriage, but the intermarriage with the gods of those people. And so they became idolaters, and that was the sin of the people. In fact, even in strong language, it tells us here in verse 17 of chapter 2 that they did not listen to their judges, for they Hoard after other gods. Now that's strong language. Because God viewed his people's sin as unfaithfulness to God. God viewed them as a covenant relationship. And God's like, look, when you go serve other gods, it's like you are being unfaithful to me. And we're told in verse 17 that they did not obey the commands of God. And at the heart of the problem of the people of Israel is that they lost their way in worship family. They became idolaters. And so as we think about this, as I mentioned, that might seem di distant to us because idols we envision to be, can be fashioned by metal and carved images. But we see quickly that idols can be fashioned in our lusts and carved according to our appetites, family. An idol is anything, anything, that would take your devotion and allegiance from God. And that's what God's people fell into. It can be as overt for us today as a lust for power, sex, or fame. And it can be as subtle to us as positioning our kids at the center of our world. That's idolatry. 
It can be as subtle as overlooking the sins of our nation to, to, in advantage, to, to pursue a particular agenda. That's idolatry. It could be investing our wealth in today and not storing up treasures in heaven. That's idolatry. The idol of self can produce selfishness in our hearts. The idol of money can keep us from experiencing God's contentment. The idol of power can cause us to view people as pawns and stepping stones to fulfill our lust for power. Now, these are all kinds of idolatry. And even reading how they went after other gods, we realize, man, I could do that actually even today without ever bowing my knee to an image that's carved out of wood or stone. See, idolatry in our hearts will always produce corruption in our worship family. Idolatry in our hearts will always produce corruption in our worship. And that's what God's people had fallen into. And so God is here, grieved by his people. But then it says he is this. He is a merciful God. And he raises up judges. See this in verse 16? God raised up judges. Look at verse 18. Whenever the Lord raised up judges. We go to verse 15. The Lord raised up judges. And in verse 9, I'm sorry, of chapter 3, the Lord raised up a deliverer. Like God raises up someone to help his people out. Because this is how the cycle goes, family, as I shared with you last week. God's people turn away from God. They worship fake gods. The kind of things that we are prone to worship. And when this happens, their lives became miserable. They became a mess. And what God did, because he's a loving God, would send other nations to, as God's correction, and they would discipline God's people. They would become miserable. And God's people would eventually say, God, help us. And God's like, all right, I'm going to send someone to help you out and deliver you from the hand of this nation. And those people were called judges. Now, we need to understand that the judges that come to your mind may not be the judges that are actually here. These are not like Judge Judy or Mathis family. These are more of the kind of John Wick kind of people. More Jason Bourne-ish, Alexander the Great-ish kind of people. These judges were people who were of military might. But they were very different kind of people. This is what makes the book of Judges so fun. Because there's a woman who's a judge and there are many men who are judges. There are judges who are courageous and some who are timid. There are some who are very experienced warriors and some are rookies. Some are godly, most are not. Some are very eager to fight and others are extremely reluctant. But what we see is God uses these people... He raises them up in order to deliver his people. Now, one thing is very common with all the judges is that all of them had a sense of inadequacy. And what I love about this book and even this point in the book of Judges is that it reminds us that no matter how inadequate we might feel that we are, God's like, you can be a perfect tool in his hand. Too many times we disqualify ourselves. Because we haven't got what it takes. So often we live life without purpose because of our past failures and we feel like we can't do it. And ultimately, when we have this mindset, not only are we not believing in God's work in us, but we're not believing in God. Take in this book of Judges a guy named Gideon who we'll see in a few weeks. When God calls him, Gideon's first response is, God, my family is the least family in our tribe tribe. 
and I'm the least person in my family's household. I'm like the lowest of the lowest. Can you really use me? God's like, perfect. Take a guy named Jephthah who has a sketchy family background and his own relatives rejected him. God's like, perfect. And isn't that just like God to use what the world deems to be unusable? To redeem what the world deems as unredeemable? To magnify what our world sees as insignificant? And here God's people in their great mess are needing help. They cry out to God and God says, all right, I'm going to rescue you, but not with someone you would expect. I'm going to take someone you wouldn't expect. Why? Because our God does that. Our God, in his kindness, is unparalleled, and in his might is unparalleled. And so this is what he does. He raises up these people who are called judges when his own people strayed away after idols. And in this message, I'm going to highlight three particular judges. Three, three specific people, as they come in and help out God's people, they teach us something about our God's hand of deliverance. This first uh, judge teaches us this, family, that our God rescues when we don't deserve it, fam. You ever experienced that? This first judge is a guy named Othniel. Othniel is the nephew of this great leader named Caleb who worked with Joshua as God's people entered into the promised land. And this is how the story goes. In verse 7 of chapter 3, God's people did evil in the sight of the Lord. This is going to become very old really quickly. You're going to hear this over and over. And God sends Kushan to go after them and, and oppress his people. Now this guy Kushan is said to be the king of Mesopotamia which means he reigned from the northern parts of what is future the nation of Israel to the southern parts. This is a powerful leader. And in fact, his last name, as you see it, Rishathayim, is actually more of a nickname. It means literally double evil or double wickedness. So this is Kushan, the guy who is doubly evil, doubly wicked. That's the guy that God sends to discipline his people. And we're told there in, in, verse, in verse 8, in verse 9, when God's peop, the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the people of Israel and saved them. And his name is Othniel. Othniel would come on and rescue God's people. And he would do so by one clear means. And we're told in verse 10, the spirit of the Lord was upon him. The Spirit of God was upon him to give his people victory when otherwise they couldn't have done it. And when otherwise they didn't deserve it. So this guy Othniel comes empowered by the Holy Spirit, leads God's people in war to fight against Kushan and brings them victory. And I love the emphasis here on the fact that it was the Spirit of the Lord that did it. Because Othniel could not do it by his own strength. Othniel could not redeem what's unredeemable. Othniel could not deliver what was undeliverable by his own strength. But God had to intervene and step into their mess. And he did so by clothing this man with the spirit of God. And how many of you know that there is no rival to the spirit of God? Not the spirit of the world. Not the spirit of the age. Not an evil spirit. Not spiritual warfare. There is no competition. There is no close or distant second to the spirit of God. God. 
And God the Holy Spirit empowers Othniel to step onto a battlefield and give God's people victory and rescue them because God's people cried out to the Lord. And family, when you see that in your own hearts there is idolatry, there is a waywardness that's going away from God, and you feel the weight of your sin, do what God's people did here and cry out to God and watch his hand of deliverance. And sometimes we read, we're like, God, man, I don't deliver that. I don't deserve that. Well, neither did they. And why does he do that? Because my God does that. God's kindness is unparalleled, just like his power. And he uses this man, Othniel, to remind us that even when we don't deserve it, God can and will deliver us. We're told that Othniel dies in verse 11. And they had rest in the land for 40 years. That must have been great. Time of peace in the land. But 40 years didn't seem very long lived. Because in verse 12, look what it says in chapter 3. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Again. After 40 years, they forgot about the Lord. Essentially a generation passes that forgot about God's deliverance. And they began to stray away and do evil again. And evil throughout the book of Judges is doing what's right in their own eyes. And that's what they did. And then we're told here that the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So a new king comes on the scene. It's no longer Kushan, but a guy named Eglon. Eglon teams up with the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Amalekites, and they surround God's people and they begin to afflict them and oppress them. And he does so, it says, for 18 years in verse 13. He gathered himself, the Ammonites and Amalekites, and he went and defeated Israel. And he took possession of the city of Palms, which is Jericho. And the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. That's a long time, family. 18 years of this land being oppressed. And then we see in verse 15, then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. You're like, I feel like you told me this already. But what sticks out to me here is the word then in verse 15. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. What is then referring to? After 18 years. As I'm reading that, I'm wondering, God, why did it take them 18 years to understand what you were trying to tell them? Well, why did it take them 18 years before they realized that the mess that they were in was because they had strayed away from you, God? And then I realized, God, I could be just as hard-headed when you are trying to speak to me and show me and reveal things to me, and I'm not hearing you. And life is getting harder and harder. And so often, if you're like me, we don't even think to ask, God, am I walking in obedience? And the reason we don't do so is because we have a propensity to view God as a last-ditch effort. We have a propensity to see God as a desperation tactic, a kind of thing when all else fails, turn to God. Well, for 18 years, they tried to get things right by their own strength, and everything else did fail. And family, man, when I see this, I'm saying, let's not be those kind of people who can become so self-focused and so hard of hearing that even when God is screaming in our ears, we can't hear him. 18 years, they went after self-help strategies to make their lives better 
and were displaced from God himself. 18 years. But they cried out to God, and God, again, is merciful. We've seen that God delivers when we don't deserve it. And secondly, we'll see here that our God rescues even when we don't see it coming. Look what happens here in verse 15. The Lord raised up for them a deliverer named Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. You think that's a weird detail? What is interesting, the Benjaminites uh, were named after Benjamin, whose name means son of my right hand. And so Ehud is a son of the right hand who happens to be a left-handed man. This is pretty wild. So shout out to all my southpaws in the room. You're there. I know. I see you lefties. Now you're like, who cares if he's a lefty? Is it just to validate all the lefties around? I know you need validation sometimes. Being lefties, all right, just don't sit next to another righty in the dinner table. That's annoying. But there's a reason for this detail. And here we're going to learn about God delivering people even when God's people don't see it coming. God working in ways we would never experience. And trust me, this is all going to make sense. I need you all to stay with me here. Look what happens. Ehud is there. And the people of Israel, in verse, in verse 15, send a tribute by him to Eglon, the king of Moab. So God's people are being oppressed. Part of their responsibility is to send a gift to their oppressor. However, uh, regular is supposed to be. We don't, we're not told if it's monthly, yearly. Uh, twice a year, who knows. But they bring a gift, and that what it is, is to show that they are subservient to this other man. And so now Ehud was the one who was carrying the gift to the king, Eglon, the king of this great empire. And so Ehud comes with this gift. And then we're told another thing in verse 16. Ehud made for himself a sword with two edges, a cubit in length, and bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. And you're like, again, random details. All right, this story's starting to progress for us. This man, Ehud, creates a sword, makes it a double-edged sword, so it's sharp on both sides, and binds it on his right side. This is an important thing. Because as a lefty, he can pull it out from his right leg. See, when people would come to visit the kings, they would naturally go to the, right, to the left side thinking most people are righties. And this was a cover for Ehud. Here this southpaw has a sword on his right thigh as he's bringing a gift of tribute. And you're all like, what's going to happen, right? Wild, wild west. You're about to see this. Now we're given this detail in verse 17. And he presented the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. And we're like, why did it just tell me this? All right, a couple of things here. We need to back up. This is not like stating an insult, okay? We use this kind of language in insulting ways. That's not what's saying here. But there's a lot of wordplay going on here in Hebrew that we're not reading in English. All right, let me tell you first thing. Eglon sounds like the Hebrew word for calf, okay, for calf. And we're told that Eglon is a fat man. And so what the writer to the judges is saying, king Mo, the king of Moab is as a fattened calf. This word fat, in fact, is only used of calves who are being prepared for a sacrifice. 
And the writer to the judges is sowing seeds here saying, hey, y'all, God's people cried out for deliverance. God sent a lefty with a sword on his right thigh to a man who was a fattened calf. What's going to happen? In verse 18, when Ehud had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said to the king, I have a secret message for you, O king. And the king commanded silence, and all his attendants went out from his presence. So let me tell you, this is what's going on. Ehud comes to the king's presence. He brings his tribute. They leave heading back to where they came from in Gilgal. And they get to a certain distance. Ehud tells his people who brought the tribute, keep going. I'm going back to king of Moab, Eglon. He goes back to Eglon. And he says, hey, king, I have a message for, for you. And the king's like, hey, you just brought me tribute. You're trustworthy. He sends out an attendant. And he allows Ehud in. And they're there one-on-one -on -one in the king's room. And Ehud came to him in verse 20. As he was sitting alone in his cool roof chamber, and Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. Now, this is fascinating. He says, I have a secret message for you. This word message in Hebrew can be translated in two different ways. It could be message or thing. And so basically he was like, hey, I have a secret message or I have a secret thing for you, king. And this word message could also, if it means message, could imply a good message or intel or something. Or maybe the king thought, he's got another gift for me. So the king is there. Allows Ehud in, and Ehud's like, I have a message, I have a thing from God for you. Well, what is that thing? It could be a good message, like I said. It could be intelligence. It could be a sword on his right thigh. And here's what we're told in verse 20. The king arose from his seat, and in verse 21, and Ehud reached with his left hand, took the sword from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly, and the hilt also went in after the blade, and the fat closed over the blade, for he did not pull the sword out of his belly, and the dung came out of him. Shall I read that again? Josh Russell said, who needs, a, who needs a Game of Thrones when you have this kind of stuff here? Family. Ehud is an assassin. He comes in, drives this blade into the king's stomach. He leaves it in there. It covers his, the hilt, which is the handle of his sword. And dung comes out of this man. And you're like, why do I need to know these details? Could have just said he died? It could have. However, there are more details here. In verse 23, then Ehud went out into the porch, closed the doors of the roof behind him, locked them, and he's like, all right, I'm, I'm out. He's out in a hurry. No one notices what happened. Verse 24, when he had gone, the servants of the king came. And when they saw that the doors of the roof chambers were locked, they thought, surely the king is relieving himself in the closet cool of the chamber. Why would they think the king is relieving himself? Because they smell the dung. And so they're like, hey, I'm not going to like, you know, you don't want that to happen. So they're like, we're not going to interrupt the king doing his business. And in verse 25, 
And as they waited, they waited till they were embarrassed. They're like, yo, this guy's taking long. Like too long. And when he did not, uh, so they call out, but when he still did not open the doors of the roof chamber, they took the key and opened them, and there lay their Lord dead on the floor. Ehud escaped in verse 26 while they delayed, and he passed by the, beyond the idols and escaped to Sarah. When he arrived, he sounded a trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down with him from the hill country. He was their leader now, verse 28, and he said to them, Follow after me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. So they went down after him, seized the fords, the Jordan, against the Moabites, and did not allow anyone to pass over. And they killed at that time 10,000 of the Moabites. All strong, able-bodied men, not a man escaped. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. Wow, what a story. Here, this man is there with a two-edged sword on his right thigh, finding out that it cuts into the divisions of a person and exposes what was in, within. I think God's word does that, doesn't it? In fact, Hebrews 4.12 says that God's word for the word of the Lord is a living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and a spirit and joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And here God uses Ehud to bring deliverance because our God rescues even when we don't see it coming. Why did God do this? Because that's the way our God works. And what was unexpected for the people of Israel was not unexpected for God. God had a plan to rescue them even by using this man Ehud. Now we don't know the spiritual leadership of this man. We do see in verse 28, he says, follow after me for the Lord has given your enemies the Moabites into your hand, so it seemed like he's giving God credit, but he also is an assassin, so we don't know what's going on here. But what we do know is the result of it, and what's the result? God rescued his people, even when they didn't expect it. My God does that, family. He can rescue us from whatever pit we find ourselves in. Whatever pit you find yourself in today, whatever kind of idols you find yourself going after Whatever kind of sin you feel like you are bound to, your God can rescue you because your God does that. And maybe you came today not even getting, expecting to be delivered from that bondage. Maybe you came today not expecting to find freedom. Maybe you came today not expecting to find hope. But God came today because what's unexpected to you is always expected to God. And he had it planned that you'd be here because my God does that, family. Our God rescues even when we don't see it coming. Now here's a clarification that we'll find throughout the book of Judges. The point is not that we would follow the judges. The point is that we would follow this God. That we would follow a God who would love us like this, that as undeserving as we are and as stubborn as we can become and how we can go again after again and again to the things that break his heart. Our God is so kind and patient. And this God would look at us and rescue us. He would tell us, don't look at sin and try to tame it like a lion in a circus. Don't, don't think you can weaken sin by your own strength any more than one piece of Tylenol can weaken a migraine. 
You need a rescuer, family. Turn to a God who can do it. And his kindness is unparalleled just like his power. And his grace is immeasurable just as his might. We're given one more judge here in verse 31. After him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 of the Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. Again, you're like, random details. An ox goad is just a tool. It's a wooden stick used to discipline oxen to teach them how to walk straight. We're told in the book of 1 Samuel that the people of Israel did not have an ironsmith around them because their oppressors had taken them away, so they didn't even have weapons. All they had were farming tools. But God would raise up a guy named Shamgar who would take a farming tool and slay 600 of his enemies with it. What do we learn here? That God can rescue even when it seems impossible. He didn't have what it took, but God did. And our God does that, family. Our God also rescues once for all. What we find here in the book of Judges is this cycle time and time again of God's people being lost, God raising up a deliverer. God's people getting lost, God raising up a deliverer. And as I read this, these stories are fascinating. Some of them are weird. Sometimes you're like, what's going on? But you see the result is God's rescue. What we also see is the fact that they constantly needed another rescue. They needed another deliverer because these deliverers could not deal with their deep problem, which was sin that led them to idolatry that brought about moral decay in their society. Deliverers can rescue them from the armies, but it can't rescue them from sin. And so they needed yet another deliverer. And family, I'm here to tell you that our God has sent another deliverer who can and has rescued once for all time. And his name is Jesus. He can deal with the real struggle in our life called sin. And he can go to a cross. And just like God raised up a serpent in the days of Moses to heal them from those snake bites. Just like God raised up judges to deliver them from their oppressors, God would raise up Jesus on a cross and lift him high to defeat death, to defeat sin. And he would raise him to glory to be seated at the right hand of the Father as our perfect deliverer. Because my God does that. And does God's mercy run out? Well, let's ask the woman at the well who met God's mercy. Let's ask Matthew, the tax collector, who found forgiveness. Let's ask the woman caught in her sin how she found forgiveness. Let's ask Peter, who denied Jesus not once, twice, but three times. Let's ask the thief on the cross who didn't lift a hand or a foot to his Savior. God's mercy doesn't run out. And oh, what a deliverer we got, family. See, the point here is not that we would be amazed at the judges but be amazed at the God of the judges. What I find really cool about Ehud is he brought deliverance. And in verse 28, he tells the people to follow after me. Now, he might be the first one to say that, but he wasn't the last. He wasn't the last one to have victory over enemies and say, follow me. That's precisely what Jesus did. 
conquering our sin and said, hey, follow me now. Follow me. Family, I wasn't wearing this shirt when I got here this morning. I was in my office about a half hour before service. My coffee mug decided to fall over on me. And right away, I realized I had coffee still on my leg. Don't look too closely. And, you know, even as I looked at my shirt, I kept thinking, like, should I do it? Big old stain right here. I was like, no, nah, let me just text Erica. Because I knew I, I couldn't get that out. I couldn't get that out. I needed something outside of me, right? And this is what our God does, family. See, our souls have been stained by sin. And we just, we just can't get it out. You, you, can't, you can't get it out of you. See, but when Jesus went to the cross, we're told about this great exchange where our sin is declared unto him and we become clothed with something new, family. We are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus because we got a deliverer who can save us once for all, family. And some of you are here today and you've been trying harder and harder to be a better person. But you can't get that stain out. You need this rescuer named Jesus. And he's saying, follow me. Believe in me. Put your trust in me. Turn away from your sin and come to me. And when you do so, you will experience God's power to forgive and God's power to give you a new life. Our God does that. Don't let this day leave you. Don't let this morning leave you before you come to the Lord and say, God, I need you. I need your kindness as I need your power. I need your grace like I need your strength. God, I need you. That's our God family coming through always as he does even today. Let's pray, fam. My God, I thank you, Lord, for who you are. My God, I thank you for never giving up on us. My Lord, I thank you for even revealing the things in our hearts that may grieve you, God. As we sang earlier, God, we want to say Jesus at the center, but even as Josh reminded us so often, that's not what we're doing. And God, you reveal our sin, not to shame us and keep us in a pit, but to call us back to you, our rescuer, our deliverer only one who can forgive us and give us a new life. Father, for anyone who's here today contemplating whether or not it's time, God, may they see that it's time. It's time to stop fighting against you. But come to a God who can deliver us when we don't deserve it. To come to the God who will rescue when they didn't expect it. To come to a God who can bring us out even when it felt like it was impossible. And Lord, I pray for those who are here today who can say, God, you've done that for me. Lord, may they not hold back their praise. May they not hold back that testimony. But to make it known and make it plain that you are their rescuer. Lord, thank you for being who you are. In Jesus' name. Family, I want to invite you to stand with me in this closing song. And I want to invite our prayer team to come forward to the right and left of the stage. And I want to invite you, family, to respond through singing or through prayer or by coming down and kneeling down here at the stage at this altar. 
Just come to God and respond. Don't hold back your praise because your God deserves so much more than even what we can give him. So let's lift up our voices and our prayers. What a deliverer we have. What a rescuer we have. We praise you, Jesus. Lord, thank you for your rescue, oh God. Thank you, Lord, for bringing us out when we couldn't lift a foot towards you. We praise you today. We worship you, Lord. Oh, God, would you give us the strength to see you with clarity, God. May we follow you, God, as your children, Lord. May everything that we are be done to you, done for you as an act of our worship, Lord. We give ourselves to you. We love you, God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. church family, as we go out today, we want to just give our God all our focus and our praise. To our moms and spiritual moms, we just say thank you for who you are. We pray God's blessing over you. And church family, I want to leave you with this blessing from God's word, which one of our moms shared, which is actually my favorite verse. Isaiah 41.10, which says, do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. And I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God bless you. You are dismissed, Brooke family.